Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. The glass chapel of Mason's Bend, Alabama, is a place that's not just for praying. It's an open-air community center, a transportation stop, a performance space for a local choir, and sometimes just a pleasant and curious spot for sitting. The building's low walls are made of rammed earth. Sheets of aluminum are spread over its ribs of laminated pine, but the most distinctive feature of this structure is its north roof, which is made entirely of Windshields salvaged from old Chevrolet Caprices. They're lapped together like scales on the flank of a great fish. Now the glass chapel, or the windshield chapel as it came to be known, was built in the year 2000 by students from Auburn's rural studio. It cost a whopping $15,000 and is one of the many rural studio buildings that are scattered across Hale County now. Among the others is a house whose walls were made by stacking 17,000 carpet tile remnants up, one integrated huge bales of corrugated cardboard, another old tires were piled up, filled with dirt, and then stuccoed, cast-off road signs became a tin roof, and glass bottles are mortared in among chunks of broken highway concrete to let little shafts of light into a smokehouse. And what you might not believe, given these descriptions is that the buildings are actually beautiful. They're playful, exuberant, inexpensive, and surprisingly beautiful. Now these buildings came to be because of an architect named Samuel Mockby, a voice who back in 1992 started crying out in a wilderness. Hale County is both poor and isolated, basic markers of wilderness by most American standards. More than a third of its residents live below the poverty line. New Bern, the rural studio's home base, is a one-store town, 10 miles from the closest restaurant, 45 minutes from a movie theater. Sambo, as Mockby liked to be called, chose Hale County for the studio's work because he was an architect who was guided by a radical moral impulse. Everyone, said Sambo Mockby, rich or poor, deserves a shelter for the soul. He would express this conviction in much harsher, more John the Baptist-y tones to his fellow architects, who he wanted to spend more of their time and energy creating good and beautiful dwellings for the poor. It was high time for some repentance in his profession, he'd say. Time for a change of course. Another kingdom was at hand, Samuel Mockby wanted all people to have a dignified place within it. Now, John the Baptist did not come to proclaim the coming of affordable housing, per se. But you may have your own example of someone who stormed into some desolate place or maybe just some desolate life and proclaimed boldly that things don't have to be just as they are. Somebody who said that God was about to do a new thing in a place we humans had long forgotten or abandoned or ignored. Bring that person to mind as you consider the strange, disheveled character Matthew introduces us to 
in the third chapter of his gospel today, it, it may help bring this familiar old story to life. The stuff at the beginning of John the Baptist's appearance seems nice enough. True, we're all told we have to repent, but we're told to do so because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, that sounds pretty nice. A straight path must be made because something heavenly, which means wonderful, we probably assume, is coming our way. But anybody with any manners at all begins to squirm a little when John turns to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or turns on them, more accurately. He tells them they're vipers, poisonous snakes, which were actually unclean creatures in the eyes of the Torah. But John's rant is about something very particular, isn't it? It's about this smug assumption that having the right ancestry is what matters most to God. And so John the Baptist frames a very basic distinction between two ways of seeing ourselves. One that's probably as relevant today as it was way back when. Do we believe that whatever lot we've been given in this life entitles us to a certain status? Or is that lot a vocation, a call, a preparation to engage the world in a particular way? In the language of Israel's prophets, God chose and blessed the Hebrew people, but for a purpose, remember? To be a light to the nations. When Israel went astray, they started treating that blessing as a possession, as something that distinguished them from all those other people, rather than something that bound them to all those other people. They fell away when they saw their chosenness as a status to be claimed for themselves, instead of a gift for all people, that was supposed to make its way into this world through their lives. Now, if you, like me, happen not to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee, or better yet, if you're not even a biological child of Abraham, we can fall into a long Christian tradition of assuming, well, John couldn't have been talking about the likes of us. We're Gentiles. So we're among those raised-up stones, you know, not the vipers and stuff. We're the people that have been brought into the tribe, but who are, who are not born into the tribe, but who are included in God's good kingdom anyway, right? Well, the old stories might not change, but the world sure, sure does, doesn't it? And so before we figure out what John the Baptist might have to say to us, we might have to ask the question of whose status before God seems more like a birthright than a call in our time and place, right? Say what you will about the decline of Christianity in the West, but just go try to get elected president without pro professing to be a Christian. Sure, some very public people say nasty things about Christians, but anybody who really thinks we're a persecuted minority probably hasn't met an actual persecuted minority. No one gets an exemption from hardship and pain in this life. But compare my lot in life to that of, say, the women and children we provided a little shelter for at Room in the Inn on Friday night. To be white, Western, Christian, and male probably means I was born into more unearned privilege than those poor Pharisees could ever have imagined. In other words, even as a follower of the very Messiah John the Baptist was announcing, I may be right in the crosshairs of his rant. I may be the one 
who needs to turn around the way I see things, which is what the Greek word John used for repent actually means. It means just to turn around. Maybe I'm the one who claims my faith as a status rather than a calling, to see the world from another perspective, and then to build a better world based on what it looks like from there, not from here. This sounds like bad news initially, but to turn completely around and to see oneself as nothing but one of those raised up stones, raised up by God, to see God's favor not as a birthright we inherited, but as a gift, one that can transform us and transform the world. To see ourselves like that is to have our lives lit up by grace. And it's to see the grace that's present in and extended by a loving God to every last soul we'll meet, whether they've come to know it or believe it or trust it or not. There really may be a measure of grace in believing that we're the ones John was yelling at. There may be if we remember that repentance isn't about feeling bad. It's about turning around. It's about changing our perspective. Changing our perspective on why people matter and where all of our true worth actually comes from. It may even be helpful to look for those prophets who speak to lives like ours or to the blind spots of our particular vantage points right here and right now. Prophets who might be a little harsh, a little coarse, a little blunt, but people we know deep down are really calling us to be our best selves, our truest selves, our God-given selves. If your lot in life is anything like mine, your Advent prophet this year might look like a late architect with a Mississippi drawl, an unruly beard, and a conviction it was time for his own brand of privileged people to see the world from another direction, and then to build a new world based on what it looks like, not from the Capitol or the boardroom, but from the wilderness, a place full of disused windshields and old tires, tin, broken concrete, a place where a person of vision can stand and say, repent, turn around, look at things from over here, and then let's go build a world that is just and beautiful in equal measure. Don't worry, we don't plan to use many cardboard bales and salvaged tires in our renovations at Calvary. But a further reason that Sambo Mockby might be a good John the Baptist stand-in for our Advent is because the world he built wasn't grim. It wasn't angry. It was joyous and vibrant. The things he made were exuberant and playful, full of light and life and laughter Something about letting go of his privileged place and seeing the world from Hale County's perspective seemed to liberate him because he saw from there that beautiful dwellings shouldn't and need not be available only to those in high places of wealth and power and status. Everyone, rich or poor, does deserve a shelter for the soul, which means it may be down at that stone's eye view in the wilderness whether in a struggling rural town or an urban block of too much poverty and blight, where we can still get glimpses of the just and beautiful kingdom that's to come.
you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.